Thank you for listening to this week's Freedom Church podcast. We hope it helps and inspires you. No prizes for my first question this morning, but can someone shout out? Uh, what's our theme for 2019 here at Freedom Church? What's our theme? Fantastic. We do real as if uh, we didn't need a bigger clue. It's on the screen and on a massive uh, piece of wood. In fact, can you just turn to the person next to you? Can you point the floor like this and go, here we do real? Can you just say that? Yes, great. We do real. I'm really pleased uh, that we do real here uh, because I want to start this morning by being a bit real with you. Is that okay? Great. I was asked months ago uh, to prepare a talk for this morning on the topic of stewardship, and I made three sort of classic mistakes. And I thought, if I just shared them with you this morning, then I'm being real, uh, I get them off my chest, I feel a bit lighter, and hopefully maybe uh, you can learn from some of those mistakes I made. So I made three mistakes. Uh, the first one was this. I tried avoiding a particular passage of the Bible because I just know it's tricky. Have you ever done that? You skip past the bits that are harder to understand in order to get to the next beautiful, reassuring promise of God. Uh, And we sometimes skim past the bits that are a bit harder to tackle. This morning, we're going to look at Luke 16 and the parable uh, of the shrewd manager. Um, And it's not something I've heard preached on much in church. Most people who talk from the front are basically just recycling things they've heard other people say. Sim just goes to Spring Harvest, nicks all of their stuff, and then we think everything he brings for the next year is really innovative. Um, well, I haven't really heard anyone else speak on this passage, um, so I'm not sure quite where we're going to go with that. And, and because of that, I just want to say, I'll give you permission this morning, if there's bits of my interpretation of this passage that you want to disagree with, uh, then that's fine. Discuss it uh, in your connect groups. For all I know, I might disagree with certain elements of my interpretation in a week or two. The second mistake I made was that I wanted to talk about too much. I wanted to talk about how we steward um, our money, how we steward our time, our health, our education, how do we steward our children, how do we steward our food cupboards, Um, and I realised that wasn't going to fit into 20 minutes. And then as I unpick this more and more, I realised that actually stewardship really is just a mindset, it's a behaviour, it's a thought pattern, which once we get it, we can apply it to any of those contexts. So hopefully this week in your connect groups, you'll have the opportunity to apply uh, what we talk about this morning into some of those specific contexts and see what it looks like. Uh, But to just base this morning in one of those contexts, I've decided we're going to talk about the topic of money. The reason is I don't think we talk about money anything like enough in church. You're probably thinking, gosh, this church don't talk about anything other than money. Um, But I don't think we talk about it anything like enough in church. Did you know in in the Bible, one in every four parables Jesus told was about the topic of money? And across Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, the four Gospels, one in every ten verses was directly on the topic of money. Jesus obviously thought money was a really big deal, and therefore so do I. So this morning we're going to think about how we steward our money, and hopefully we can extrapolate uh, some of that into other areas of our life. And then the third uh, mistake I made was that I thought that stewardship needed lots of explaining and lots of detail, but like a lot of things in the Bible that are actually really profound, really significant, and really transformative, it's remarkably simple. In fact, um, here's my definition of godly stewardship. Stewardship is simply handling God's blessings, God's way, for God's purposes. Handling God's blessings, God's way, for God's purposes. It's as simple as that. I think a steward is simply someone who manages something on someone else's behalf. For us, it's us managing something on God's behalf. Phew. So now I've got those three mistakes off my chest. I feel a lot lighter. Um, I hope that you can learn uh, something from those. But we're going to look at this passage together. So if you've got a Bible with you, turn to Luke 16 or turn your phone on and find Luke 16. If you haven't, don't worry. 
the words will be on the screen behind me. And because uh, my voice is so nasal and annoying, um, I've asked Lottie to come and read the passage to us because everyone will find that a lot more pleasant. Is that okay, Lottie? Great. (laughs) Okay, the parable of the shrewd manager. Jesus told his disciples, there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and asked him, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you cannot be my manager any longer. The manager said to himself, what shall I do now? My master is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig and I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do, what I'll do so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. So he called each one of his master's debtors. He asked the first, how much do you owe my master? 900 gallons of olive oil, he replied. The manager told him, take your bill, sit down quickly and make it 450. Then he asked the second, and how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. He told him, take your bill and make it 800. The master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than with the people of the light. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain gain friends for yourselves, so that when it's gone, you would be welcome into eternal dwellings. Fantastic. Thank you, Lottie. That was much better than my voice. Um, The passage does continue, and we are going to look at the rest of the passage slightly later on this morning. But that first part is um, the parable that Jesus tells. A parable is just a story that Jesus tells. Um, It's a small story that reveals a really big truth. So we're going to look at this bit first, and then we'll look at the second part um, a little bit later on. But before we go any further, I'm just going to pray for us. Is that okay? Father God, we believe that all of your word, the Bible, is inspired and living. God, we don't want to miss what you're saying to us just because we find some bits harder to understand than others. God, this morning through uh, my words and uh, through our time together, God, would you help us to understand what it is that you're saying to us through this passage? And God, would we leave here in some way changed and different uh, to how we arrive? God, would you nudge us by your spirit as I speak? Uh, Would we be responsive to what it is that you're saying to each of us as individuals? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Great. Um, If you're reading along in your Bible, then keep them out because we're going to sort of work through this a little bit uh, sequentially because I think the passage justifies it. So let's pick it apart uh, and see where we go. So there's this rich man and he has a manager who's been accused of wasting his possessions. So here we meet the main two characters in the dramatic opening scene. First, we have the rich man. Second, we have the manager. The manager is not his, the, his boss. He's the manager who works for the rich man, who should look after his stuff. We could call him a head servant or an administrator or a financial manager. And in fact, in the parable, we could replace the word manager with the word steward. And here we find the first thing straight away that makes this parable tough. In most parables, Jesus uses like a, a good versus bad or a right versus wrong kind of imagery. But in this story, we get the impression that both the rich man and the manager, the steward, were both unscrupulous characters. The rich man had permitted vast debts that it would appear that people were struggling to repay. And the manager, uh, well, he clearly committed fraud. So there's no obvious good versus bad storyline here. Uh, And so that means that Jesus is teaching us a positive lesson from a negative example. And he doesn't do that hugely often, so we do find this parable a bit tough to understand. There doesn't appear to be a good character in it. 
Uh, but what I love about this from the offset is that Jesus is weaving into his teaching the idea that we can all learn something from everyone, even sinners. If we're humble enough, everyone has something to teach us. That's good, isn't it? Jesus is weaving that into his teaching. And so the steward has been accused of wasting his possessions, the rich man's possessions. Please note at this point, I don't think that the rich man is representative of God. But the relationship between the manager and the rich man is representative of our stewardship responsibility to God. And here's the first principle of stewardship, or the first part of the definition I shared a bit earlier. It's not our stuff. Think of anything that you own. Just think of it. It's not yours. Think of something else that you own, anything. It's not really yours. Yeah, but Tim, I, I earn it. I go to work for 40 hours a week. I'm smart. I use my brain. I get the cash. I go and I buy the stuff. It's my, surely it's my stuff. Well, no, I think that in the kingdom of heaven, it looks like if you're blessed enough, if you're fortunate enough to even have a job, you've probably been blessed with some sort of an education. You've probably been blessed uh, with a good job interview at some point. You've probably been blessed with some qualifications. Uh, and then when you take that money home, if you're not just trying to feed it so that your children survive, you've been blessed enough to live in the first world. You've been blessed enough to live in a country where there's an NHS and a state. We have to be so careful not to think that we own all of our stuff. It all belongs to him. And like the manager in this story says, we have a responsibility for managing someone else's stuff. In our case, it's the blessings we've received from God. In this parable, it was the possessions of a rich man. But as it says in Psalms, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. And so the first part of our definition is that we're handling God's blessings. We have to learn to view everything in life as a blessing from God. And so the rich man called in his head servant, his steward. Oh, no one likes to be called into the boss's office, do they? My boss is sitting on the front row. We work in an open plan office. Fortunately, we've never had to have that conversation. Hopefully, we won't off the back of this morning. Um, but have you ever had that sinking feeling in the pit of your stomach when you get called into the boss's office? And the boss asks him to give him an account for his actions because he can't be his manager anymore. What the boss is saying here is he's saying, you haven't done what I would have done. You haven't handled the stuff the way that I would have handled the stuff. And straight away we get to the second principle of stewardship, or the second part of the definition. We've got to handle God's stuff, God's blessings, God's way. We've got to handle stuff the way that God would have us handle stuff. We're handling God's blessings, God's way. And it's worth taking a moment here to think about what really is God's way because I don't think it's what a lot of us think it is. I don't think that godly stewardship has to mean super boring, risk-averse, conservative, small thinking. There's a place in godly stewardship for extravagance. Think about the woman who poured her perfume on Jesus' feet. There's a place in godly stewardship for generosity. Just look at the very nature of God. And there's a place uh, in godly stewardship for really radical generosity. Just think back to our earlier series this year, looking at the way that the early church shared what they had. We're called to handle God's blessings God's way, not necessarily the way of an accountant or a financial manager. And yes, Jesus does say things like we should pay our taxes, <coughs> Starbucks, um, but he labours really on giving to the poor and using our money to serve the last, the least and the lost. And so the manager realises he's got this wrong and he thinks to himself, what am I going to do now? My manager's going to sack me. I'm not strong enough to dig. Have you seen how weedy my arms are? I can barely carry a rucksack. 
and I'm too proud to beg. My friends would laugh at me. It'd be all over Facebook. What am I going to do? And so he comes up with a plan, which gets me thinking, and maybe it gets you thinking, why hasn't he been sacked yet? Well, I'm not sure that sacking him was necessarily super urgent. What he did, which was wasting the rich man's stuff, was stupid. It was poor management, but we don't get the impression it was necessarily fraudulent. He probably wasn't dismissed instantly uh, because he had such a big, important role. Maybe they needed to shortlist candidates for his replacement. Maybe the rich man uh, was seeking advice from an overpaid HR consultant to ensure he didn't end up in an employment tribunal for unfair dismissal. I'm not sure. But the point is he wasn't sacked immediately. And so his plan is really simple. And we reach the climax of this story. And he executes his plan really quickly. He decides, I'm going to give huge discounts at my boss's expense to the pe so that people who have benefited will give me somewhere to sleep or, even better, a job once he's fired. So he throws out a 50% discount and a 20% discount on what we reckon were some pretty massive debts. Can you imagine that? Hi, Mr. Parker, it's John here from the mortgage company. Yes, um, I just want to let you know, we've, we, we've wiped 50% off your mortgage. Yeah, if you're ever looking for a finance guy, my name's John. I might be looking for some work, but like I say, I've knocked 50% off your mortgage. Remember me. You can sort of picture how the conversation might have gone. Well, imagine if uh, you owe some money on your car and someone just phoned you up and said, we decided to just wipe 20% off it you'd probably look quite favourably upon that guy. And to me, it sort of reads a bit like the stewards thought, well, if I'm going to go out, I might as well go out in style. And most of us might steal a packet of pens and a few poly pockets uh, when we get fired. Um, or if we're feeling really sort of out there, we might photocopy our bum a hundred times and put it in people's <laughs> pigeonholes. Uh, I don't know. But this guy takes it to another level. He gives people massive debts at his boss's expense. And then we get to the tough bit. We get to the bit where people think Jesus is endorsing the sinful behaviour. We get to the bit of the passage uh, that makes most people skip very quickly into the next chapter. Jesus says this, the master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than the people of the light. It's like the boss is saying, fair one, he has played a clever hand there. I should have fired him without waiting for my overpriced HR consultant. If the steward had shown that kind of uh, shrewdness during his employment, he'd probably still be employed. And people have given up at this parable at this point so many times because they think that Jesus is endorsing or commending the sinful and fraudulent behaviour of the steward, but he isn't. When you look at everything else Jesus teaches, how he lives, who he is, you realise Jesus couldn't possibly be endorsing that. So what... Is he endorsing? Well, the rich man, and therefore indirectly Jesus, by telling this story, are both commending the manager's shrewdness. Note, commending his shrewdness, not his sinfulness. He is commending the level of his thinking, not his theft. Jesus thinks that being shrewd is good. And Jesus goes on to say that the people of the world are more shrewd than the people of light. That's us, by the way. And I read that as a massive challenge to us all, to get more shrewd. Being shrewd is having sharp powers of judgment. It's being savvy. It's being smart. It's being wise. It's having your bag of talents and not just burying it in a hole and waiting. Jesus is saying, be like this guy. Don't do the sinning bit, but do do the shrewdness bit. In fact, uh, the message is really helpful here. The message paraphrases it like this. I want you to be smart in the same way, but for what is right using every adversity to stimulate you to creative survival, 
to concentrate your attention on the bare essentials so that you'll live, really live, and not complacently just get by on good behaviour. Can I ask you, are you shrewd with the money that God has given you? Do you know how to budget, spend and save? Do you know how to understand the small print, invest for the long term, see through the marketing and advertising? Do you know how to make good decisions? Can you negotiate a good deal? I thought I was so shrewd a couple of years ago in Marrakesh at the back of a souk in a rug shop, uh, haggling down this handmade Berber rug. Maddie was sat in the corner going, Tim, shut up, let's just go home. And I'm just embracing the, the Marrakesh haggling uh, with this guy. And we're in there for a good 20 minutes and I haggle him down and down and down and I'm just relentless. And I walk out with my head held high and my rug proudly under my arm and I strut all the way back to the hotel, do a little bit of maths and realise I'd probably knocked about 50p off. Sometimes we're probably not quite as shrewd as uh, we could be. But we should be shrewd. We can't be naive with God's stuff. Like the message says, we shouldn't be aiming to just complacently get by. And then Jesus' sentence here uh, is an incredible sentence, but we need to just pick it apart a little bit at a time. He says this, I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself, so that when it's gone, you'll be welcomed into eternal dwellings. This sentence at first glance is pretty hard to swallow but when we unpack it the sentence turns into absolute gold and so let's just spend a moment unpacking it together because this is the summary of the story, this is the closing scene and therefore this is a big deal and here's why it's hard to swallow at first glance and let me just put it out there in the open. It sounds like Jesus is saying this, I tell you buy yourself some friends, buy friends, it sounds like that doesn't it, I'm just saying And that doesn't seem right. In fact, it's not right. Uh, So let's just look at it a little bit more closely. First of all, Jesus says, use worldly wealth. That's an instruction. Jesus is saying wealth isn't wrong. Money isn't bad. Money isn't evil. Uh, We should use worldly wealth. The goal in life for a Christian isn't to be poor. Ah, yes, Tim, but it says in the Bible how hard it is for a rich person to get into heaven. True, but it doesn't say, therefore, if you're poor, it's automatically easy. Having money isn't a bad thing. The church, quite rightly, has has desperately ran away from ever presenting anything that looks like the prosperity gospel, and that's good. Uh, But we end up accidentally implying a sort of poverty gospel. And actually, there's this middle ground called the provision gospel. Having money isn't a bad thing. And then Jesus then moves on and he says, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves. And although that sort of grates with me, it does work. It's not about buying friends, that doesn't work. But have you ever met someone who's really generous and is also lonely? I doubt it. Why are they alone? How come no one ever hangs out with them? Oh, you know, they're just too generous and people hate that. (laughs) It doesn't happen, does it? In Proverbs it says, if you want to have friends, you've got to be friendly. And one of the ways we're friendly is by being generous. We should aspire to be generous people. When you get more money, it may not be to raise your standard of living, but to raise your standard of giving. So Jesus says, I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself so that when it is gone, it will go. Your money, either during this lifetime or certainly before you start the next, it will go. It will fail. You cannot take it with you. 
I could tell you stories of some of the richest people in the history of the planet who've lost it all, but I'm not sure that's going to help us this morning. And then Jesus finishes the sentence by saying, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings, which sounds similar to me, to the idea of laying up your treasures in heaven, doesn't it? Your friendships determine the direction and quality of your life. And that's a big deal. So when we hear Jesus saying in this sentence, buy yourself some friends, I think we should really hear him saying, here's the principle. Success, wealth and life is fleeting. So use it for eternal gain. In other words, take God's blessings, whatever they are, use them his way, God's way, and use them to achieve his purposes, the eternal purposes, which gets us to the last part of our definition. Handling God's blessings God's way for God's purposes. As Christians, whether we are rich or poor, we need to be shrewd stewards who use money to love because wealth will fail, but eternity won't. And that's where Jesus finishes the parable, the small story that reveals a big truth. And then he moves on to some application and some principle, which Lottie didn't read out, but I'll read it uh, for us now. And we're just going to look at this very briefly before we finish. So Jesus then says in verse 10, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. In my book, that's called integrity. Then he says, so if if you've been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, sorry, let me say that again. He then says, so if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? As Robert Morris puts it beautifully bluntly, if God can't trust you with cash, why would he trust you with souls? That's a bit too blunt for me, but I like what he's saying. If you can't look after money, how will you look after disciples? If you cheat when you give your customers change, surely you're going to end up cheating inside the church. Then verse 12, Jesus says, And if you've not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Money is a wonderful tool and a terrible God. You have to choose to serve either God or money. And the Pharisees who loved money heard all of this and were sneering at Jesus. He said to them, you are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of others, but God knows your hearts. What people value highly is detestable in God's sight. In my book, that's a pretty stark warning. Uh, I'd be grateful if the band could come up uh, and make a start. Uh, Because I want to finish with this. I really believe that it's what you do with what you've got that defines who you are. It's what you do with what you've got that defines who you are. It doesn't matter if you've got lots or not got lots, it's what you do with what you've got that defines who you are. And it's what you do with what you've got, not what you'll say you'll do with what you've got. I've floated around Christian circles and found myself saying things like, oh, I've got such a heart for the poor. That's just what I say. It's what I do with what I've got that really defines who I am. The rubber hits the road with what we do. And so stewardship is really simply handling God's blessings God's way for God's purposes. And I really believe that God loves it when we hear his word and then we take some time to respond to his word. And so I want to give us an opportunity to respond 
to his word this morning. Maybe as I've been speaking or maybe right now, God by his spirit is just nudging you or maybe he's booting you (laughs) into part of what we've been saying this morning. Handling God's blessings, God's way for God's purposes. Maybe this morning God's just reminding you that everything that you have is his stuff. Maybe he's saying there's things in your life which you're treating like you own them, like you earned them. And God wants to remind you this morning that it's all his stuff. Or maybe in thinking about God's blessings, his spirit's just nudging you this morning and saying, you need to remember to thank me for all of that. Maybe there's things you take for granted that you're not thanking God for. Maybe God's saying, view this stuff as my blessing and it will bless you so much more. Or maybe this morning as I've been talking or even right now, God by Spirit is nudging you around the idea of what it is to handle stuff God's way. Have you been too uh, tight-fisted with stuff that God's given you? Or have you maybe uh, been naive with the stuff that God's given you and not been shrewd enough? Maybe God's nudging you in that area right now. Or maybe this morning as I've been talking or right now, you're just feeling nudged about, are you really harnessing God's blessings to achieve his purposes or are we trying to further our purposes let's just take a moment just to to let God nudge us God are you saying to us this morning that we need to think more about everything we have been a blessing from you maybe God's saying everything we have we need to handle his way maybe he's just reminding us this morning that his stuff handled his way can be used to achieve his purposes rather than ours So I'm just going to pray for us to give us a chance to start responding. Father God, we thank you for your word. God, we are so humbled that and we're so grateful that every breath that we breathe, every morning we wake up, every bit of health that we've got, every bit of time that we've got, every bit of money that we've got, every bit of family, every bit of friendship, everything that's good in life that we've got is a blessing and is a gift that comes from you. God, we're so grateful for that and we're sorry when we treat it like it's our own or we forget to thank you for it. God, thank you that you are the God of blessing. You love to bless your people. And God, thank you that in Jesus, you model to us what it is to handle stuff your way. Thank you that we've got a Bible packed full of examples, what it is to handle things your way. God, we're sorry for the times that we handle stuff in the way of the world and not the way of the Father. God, if we've got things we need to change, come and do your work in us now. God, we thank you that we get to use stuff for your purpose. What a great purpose. God, we want to see disciples made of all nations. We want to see the people of Romsey come and find and follow Jesus. God, what a great calling. What a great purpose we get to participate in. And God, we're sorry for the times when you bless us and then we use it to further our purposes, our agendas, our way. God, help us, show us, teach us, guide us what it is to view your blessings and gifts from you, to handle them your way and to use them to achieve your eternal, heavenly, divine purposes. God, we give you permission now as we respond to what you're saying to us. 
God, make us uncomfortable if you need to. Because we want to respond, we want to grow, we want to grow more like you. Come and meet with us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In a moment, the band are going to lead us in a song which just gives us a bit more chance to respond uh, to what we've heard this morning. But if I could leave you with one final thought, it would be this. I really believe that stewardship is one of the single greatest mechanisms that Christians have got to completely transform the world. I really believe that stewardship is one of the single greatest mechanisms that we've got to completely transform the world. Can you imagine a world where every Christian on the planet viewed everything that they had as one of God's blessings? Every Christian on the planet handled everything they'd been blessed with in the way that God handled it. And every Christian handled everything that they'd been blessed with God's way in order to achieve God's purposes. Man, I live for that day. And I've got a funny feeling that very quickly the world would look very different. And that transformation of the world starts with me. It starts with you. That transformation start of the world starts uh, with us. So we're going to sing. Let's just let God uh, do his thing among us. I hope that in your connect groups this week you have some good conversation about what it is to really handle God's blessings, God's way, for God's purposes. Thank you. For more information about Freedom Church, please go to www.freedomchurch.uk Thank you for listening.